Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, the, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Happy you're here. Thanks for coming. However you made it here, whatever brought you to the interview. If you're not a subscriber, though, and this is something that you get into, if you want to keep up with your favorite artists, know what's happening in the music world, discover some new ones, hit that subscribe button. We'll bring a brand new interview to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find us at all the major spots, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all the rest out there in podcast land. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Phoebe Bridgers. We're going to be talking about her new record, Punisher. In fact, getting into a lot of things about this record, how she uh, she says she's coffee shop famous these days. I want to hear what that's about. The record itself features a much bigger production than her last one. Uh, there's a good reason for that. And in fact, it's with that bigger production. I, I ask her if this were a uh, if this were scoring uh, a movie, what genre would it be? And her answer, a Midsommar divorce drama. 
Yeah, you're going to have to hear about that. She's also a, a huge fan of My Favorite Murder, the podcast, and, uh, and loves true crime. So that's a big influence in the record that we're going to be discussing, as well as how she, uh, part of her songwriting process is tricking herself, as she says, to write in different ways. Uh, outside of the music, she's also been producing. In fact, she produced Christian Lee Hudson's brand new record. So we'll want to hear about that part of her career as well. And then later on, I'll be sharing a couple of my older Phoebe Bridgers interviews. But let's jump into it, discussing the record punishment. It's Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridgers. Hey, how's it going? Let me tell you, uh, Punisher, I, I know you're getting tons of compliments and just add me to the pile on this one because uh, what a, an amazing record that you've done once again. Thank you. I, I'm sure that's nice for any time anybody ever releases a record, but it's got to be somewhat of a relief, this being, you know, the official second solo record. I mean, that's, that's always, it's probably more pressure from the industry than maybe yourself, but... But does it feel like this is, it's nice to finally have that out there different than the other releases? Totally. I mean, it's more personal because like I, there was just no pressure with my first record because I didn't have any fans um, before I released it. So I guess there was pressure with this one. I didn't really feel it. And now uh, in retrospect, I'm scared for myself. I'm like, man, if people didn't like this record, it would have sucked. But I don't think I realized that before <laughs> putting it out, which maybe is nice. I'm worried for the next one. You know, as we're, as we're talking about it being the second record, and, and many artists have been faced with this too, especially, you know, the popularity of that first one. A lot of times the second one can be about, you know, if it's not the road record, it's about writing about fame. And, and you didn't seem to shy away from that. It seems like you leaned into that a little bit. Was there ever any resistance to kind of going that route? Um, I mean, still, I'm like, you know, I'm indie rock famous. I joke that I'm, uh, I'm like coffee shop famous. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can pretty much guarantee that someone at a coffee shop is going to recognize me, but the rest of the world I <laughs> move move through with like pretty much anonymity. So, um, so there's definitely a lot about tour, just the, the experience, the way that it affects me personally. Like, I don't think I, th I think it's all just kind of my inner world, and and I trick myself into believing that I'm not going to show anybody my songs before I finish them, and you know I'm like, oh, this will, this will never have to come out if I don't like it, and, and that helps me write better I think because then I, of course I do put it out. I, I want to hit on the uh, the instrumentation for the record because uh, it was the first thing I noticed one because your first thing is an instrumental on there with this beautifully set DVD menu song but it seems like that was kind of one of the biggest differences obviously and I don't know if that was was that something you thought about going into it was that it was going to be such a different spot instrumentally for, for an album? You know I think so I think we just knew that we I'd gotten ex more experimental in my you know in my other bands and I think I knew that I was going to take that into this but um I felt very reserved on the first record like I had to stop Tony and Ethan the other two producers from making it sound super big all the time uh I think that we all have a tendency to kind of like overproduce and I was the one voice trying to get it to be like a folk record and then this time I just didn't fight it and <laughs> I think we uh yeah, it was, I think it's a better record for it. You know, I mean, I think sometimes, sometimes we would overproduce something and then have to completely start from the beginning, but my favorite thing to do is delete, so. Well, especially again, starting it with, uh, you know, a song called DVD Menu, which, I mean, sounds like a joke right from the beginning, but it, this honestly could be the 
menu music that, that you could hear. I, you know, I'll, I'll play this on the sillier side of the questions, but, you know, if this were a movie, I mean, what are we looking at here? Gothic horror, thriller, divorce drama? Do you have something in mind? You know, I think the movie I wish it was, it probably isn't. I think it's a little too, um, like, it would be a pretty bad movie score because it's so wordy, but... If, if the thing itself were a movie, maybe it is a divorce drama. I don't know. I'm 25 years old and never been married, but, but I think maybe. Yeah, maybe. A combination of that and like a, you know, maybe a um, midsummer divorce drama. <laughs> wow. That's, that's you know, the dark direction right there. I could appreciate yeah. it. Uh, and of course, that, it, you know, the, the book into the record is I Know the End. And, and I think this is a song that a lot of people have been gravitating towards. And, and for good reasons. It's an amazing song. It's, it's, you know, I don't know if this is the most epic thing you've ever done, but it certainly feels like it to me uh, as a listener. What, like, what went into writing this? Because it does seem like a different level the way it builds. Was this harder than most songs? It actually kind of... It felt kind of low stakes, actually. Like, the front half of it was really hard. It was one of the first songs that I started. I started in with my drummer. And it just wasn't really fitting anywhere. It was just kind of this, like, mellow, sad song. It wasn't... It didn't have, like, a clear through line. And it, the lyrics changed, like, a hundred times. And in the outro, I just kind of started writing and said, oh, like, I could tack this onto the end of that song that I've been struggling with. It went through lots of different forms, but I think... It wasn't hard to write necessarily, but I wrote it a lot. And then, and then recording was just fun, like not hard at all. Just letting people do whatever they want. I think the hardest thing to do in recording is, is stopping people from recording <laughs> and putting too much stuff on something. And we didn't have that problem with this because we wanted to be huge. No, it's it's definitely a powerful way to end the record. And and by the way, I, I'm my wife is a murderino, as she would say. <laughs> talk about that, especially through a song like this. As soon as I read about it, you know, one of the other, it might have been Pitchfork or something, how you're into my favorite murder, I immediately had to tell her that and then play her this song. And she goes, "Oh, I hear every bit of that." Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you can even hear it on the first record, um, even though my favorite murder didn't exist to me yet. But yeah, I've always been really, really into true crime i love the way that it's shifting kind of to to um include like marginalized less viral stories that are on the news every day i don't know i think it started as kind of a like dime store novel obsession and then it turned into like a like a righteous fury at uh like police (laughs) so i don't know i think i think people are using their voice for good uh in that genre which is great but yeah it definitely affects all my music I, I asked my wife at one point, uh, you know, when you look at the statistics, I said, why is it that women are drawn to true crime way more than, than men seem to be? And of course, you know, her answer was very blunt and, and honest. And she goes, because it's something we're dealt with every day, whether we're physically trying to be killed or not. Uh, and it was sort of an eye opener in, in that sense. And, and I don't know if I'm getting too heady here, but it sort of made me hear a lot of these songs in a different way. Yeah, know? I think I was, I was definitely binging the podcasts while on tour and uh, it lines up perfectly to like writing all these songs. So I think it, you know, definitely like seeped in, not that it's not in my brain all the time, but I used to think there was something wrong with me. And I think now I realize that, like I really did think there was something wrong with me in high school. I thought, I was like, am I a serial killer? And there's some songs like that on the first record. And then I think just realizing that, yeah, women have like a dark fascination with it because it's so real. Because a couple of the songs, uh, they, especially the first official radio single with Kyoto, and I'll bring up ICU, as they are, I guess, for better phrasing, the, the faster paced songs on the record, 
does writing at a tempo like that require a different songwriting muscle than than the slower songs? <laughs> uh, no, because I just write slow songs and then make them fast. I have to trick myself. Same with uh, chords. Like I never write cool chords, but I think that there are a lot of cool chords on the record, um, and that's because I think about it later. Like I think about it as a different step. As long as I can trick myself into writing lyrics, then it can kind of be whatever I want later. Always back to tricking yourself. That's the. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll ask about a little bit of outside the record too, because you're into the producing game. It looks like too with Christian Lee Hudson. What's that experience been like? Um, it's been awesome. I hope to do it. I hope he lets me produce his next record because I think he did a really good job. I loved making it. It was so fun. It was like I the one thing that's hard, um, it, which is why I don't produce a lot, is because I have to feel like as passionate about someone's music as I do about my own music, um, which is hard. Like if, if someone has five good songs and five kind of boring songs or songs that I don't really connect with, then I won't be as excited to record those songs. And Christian, I just was like, you know, he sent me like 20 songs and I was obsessed with them. It's hard to whittle them down. So yeah, like I don't, <laughs> I, I a thousand percent have ADHD and then in ADHD, uh, there's something called um, unpreferred tasks which is like when you <laughs> buy furniture from Ikea and you start it and then it's kind of hard and it's boring and you're like, and you abandon it. But then with things that you're really into, you just focus on and you don't really have to think about it and it doesn't feel like time is passing. And that's the way that, you know, producing my own stuff and Christian's music is like. It, it, do you have to approach the risk taking in a different way? I mean, again, as you've continuously talked about tricking yourself, does, does that style, uh, are you able to kind of go away from that when it's somebody else's music? Well, it's kind of less pressure, you know, like I, I believe in people more than I believe in myself, like other people. I think I need people around me to tell me my ideas are good um, and like affirm me, but it's very intoxicating to be that for somebody else. Um, you know, when someone thinks their voice sounds bad and it doesn't, it makes me wonder like how many times has that been me? Like, oh, saying right now it's bad or this song is bad. Um, <laughs> it's been helpful to have people tell me I'm wrong and, and I like being that person. Well, it's cool to watch what you're doing. Uh, and, and again, this record with Punisher, I mean, just, just what a great record that you've done again and again. And of course, we love what you do with Boy Genius and, and we love what you do with Connor and the VOCC. So, so thank you so much for continually doing what you're doing and uh, <laughs> congratulations on Punisher again. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Phoebe. Yeah, you too. Later. Phoebe Bridgers talking about the Punisher record. It was just last year that she and I got on the phone along with Connor Oberst to discuss their band, the Better Oblivion Community Center. So I'm including that here as we discuss the LP, uh, as well as stage diving, covering Shallow from A Star Is Born, and eventually having enough albums for greatest hits. On the more serious side, we also got to uh, discuss the themes of alienation and solitude that's in this record and how they've made each other better musicians. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridgers. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to talk to you both again. I want to say congratulations on the uh, Better Oblivion Community Center record. This has been so much fun to listen to. Uh, fun being the operative word, considering the lyrics, but it's a fun record still. <laughs> I don't know. Let me start out with the uh, with you know what you all bring to each other's talents at this point, because I would think, regardless of how a collaboration starts, there is at least some hope in in gleaming something from the other artist. H have you noticed that at any point that you've been taking stuff from the other? 
other person? Yeah, totally. I think uh, Connor's a very compelling live performer. And I feel like if I, like a recent, this is a recent realization, that if I like even move a little bit on stage, I'll like mess up a chord or something. So I hope to, I hope to take that with me into my future project. You will teach how to stage dive yet. Have yeah. you stage dive? On this tour? No, like in general. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How? But that's so terrifying. Why would you ever do that? No, that's, that's a good question, too. But you don't care about getting, like, groped? Yeah, I feel I like mean, that's my fear. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> spirit moves you, jump, you know? Take yeah. that leap. Um, no, I've learned a lot from, like, Phoebe, just, like, writing the record with her. I feel like she has a, she's, like, maybe a little bit more of, like, a perfectionist than I am, and she, she kind of, like a lot of times I'll, I'll write something like fast and kind of like walk away. And she was really good about like encouraging us to keep revising stuff and like making it better. And, you know, obviously she's like an incredibly gifted singer. So like all like the harmony stuff on the record, like she would write the harmonies and then like teach them to me. And so I feel like that made me, made me a better singer, just having to like learn that and having to like keep up with her like vocally every night has like, yeah, like made me like, try harder to be a better singer which is, which is good does this does the partnership go back to uh would you rather on, on stranger in the alps is that the first time you all collaborated yeah yeah although hilariously enough we had met once and connor recorded his part of that song remotely so <laughs> we would end up becoming friends after and that was like like we had barely hung out at all um when making that song so it's cool in retrospect there's like a you know a, a permanent like record of our friendship <laughs> like along the way I, I don't know aside from there being truth in any lyric then when you're writing this record together how much of the album tells your own stories and, and if it is you know directly personal in any way you know is it a, any kind of challenge to to weave your own stories together like that I think for me it was an experiment a little it was like a little bit more it was a lot more removed from my own personal experience than anything I'd written before I feel like that's my a combo like a strength and weakness of mine is that I feel like I, I, I have the tendency to just like rip stuff exactly as it happens in real life. And then I feel like these themes I, I kind of discovered later. But I think Connor's lyrics are really personal too. So it wasn't wasn't that much of a challenge to like go there when we did go there. Like it was I don't I think we we thought about all these like grander ideas or like concepts after making the record. And it's cool to like figure that stuff out. And it was pretty easy to to like blend our two styles yeah it is it is interesting though like how you know we can write some, something together or like a lot of the lines on the record like you know literally like i started writing the line and then maybe we'll have like substituted a word or something like that and so like even when people like ask you know specifically about certain songs or lines i'm like i don't actually totally remember who wrote that exact part and then, it, and then when you sing it, like a lot of times we're singing together. And I think for the listener, you know, it totally changes the dynamic of like, this is one person, you know, confessing something to me or like, you know, like the personal nature becomes very like skewed when you have two voices yeah. singing the whole time, which I kind of like. I think it takes it out of that, like, you know, yeah, confessional folk singing style. I, I, with that, then, I, I would have to ask about one direct line because it would seem like that ghost is just a kid in a sheet. One of my favorite moments on the record does seem to be self-referential back to the uh, the Stranger in the Alps cover. I, again, I think we thought about that later. 
I think we figured out that like, and that happens a lot where like maybe it was subliminal or whatever, but I feel like I find out what songs are about way after writing them. And then you're on stage or like specifically with that line, I see people like smiling at me when we sing it and and we're kind of like, oh, that was accidental. It was just cool imagery. That is kind of amazing then because it it does, it does seem so specific in that. And uh, I don't know, it's fun for for fans to kind of be able to have that uh, little, even if it's a coincidental bread crumb trail then um I'll, I'll take the wider scope on some of the themes you know maybe that you noticed later on because when i listen to this i hear i do hear a lot of alienation and solitude and if that's if that's how you all feel about it too it's interesting to me because the more interviews i do in the past two years those seem to be the themes that are cropping up with everybody that's that's the spot we're all in whereas if you ever wanted to compare music to the 60s as people tried to do a lot when the trump era started you know, it's uh, it doesn't seem like it's going that direction where it's all, you know, that uh, CCR protest music. It seems like sort of the opposite, like everybody's kind of going inside. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, everyone is obviously, you know, I think that's kind of if we're, if we're looking for like bigger themes of like the record or the band or whatever. I think it is everyone is in like an in, internal kind of dialogue and struggle and the crazier things that are happening in the world. I feel like there is a desire to like retreat and retreat from reality and from all these things and so i think i don't know maybe that's the idea of like having like the word like community in the band and stuff like that is that you in a certain sense even though it can feel like you're out there on your own we are all kind of in it together you know if that if that makes any sense and so but yeah i mean i think those the themes you're talking about are very prevalent in a lot of the songs you know and there is probably like a zeitgeist of the moment that everyone's experiencing, you know, even if we don't all know about it or talk about it. I'll turn to the live show then because the songs have seemed to become much bigger live. Did that come after or was it kind of a choice to keep the album in a more bare state and let it run free once you get on stage? I think it kind of was reversed. Like we tried to make a rock album and <laughs> failed. And then we, and then when we took it on the road, it was like way easier to, to make it sound the way we wanted it to sound. Yeah. I mean, I think we, I, I always like it when songs take on a different life in live, in a live setting. You know, I think that that's pretty natural. And I think uh, whenever you get in front of an audience, uh, at least for, in my experience, there is a bit of a desire to play things faster and louder than you recorded them, you know? Um, I think that's just like adrenaline and just being in a room with people. Um, but yeah, we talked about like kind of intentionally when we were getting ready for the tour, we're like, you know what, we're we're a couple of bad sacks with our like acoustic guitars, like too much already. So like, let's leave the acoustic guitars at home and play, you know, make this more of like a rock show as much as we can. So it's been fun. I get to hit the distortion pedal a lot. That makes me happy. Yep. So, have you all been trying to come up with new covers for every show, or has that just been a few of them? I I think it's just been a few for sure. But we, I do like in my solo shit. I actually uh, do like a lot of regional covers. So I'll pick, you know, like a replacement song or Minneapolis, and then we kind of just naturally leaned into that on this tour and. And, and we, you know, it's only one record, so we definitely knew we had to do cover songs. And then, yeah, I love covering Bright Eyes. Very fun. Were there any instant vetoes? Did anybody say? Like, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about Shallow, and I don't know if that was as painful for you, Connor, as the press makes it out to be. <laughs> well, obviously, as most, as most good things in the world, or at least most things, in our with our band, like everything starts as a joke, kind <laughs> of, and uh, 
Yeah, that was one that definitely got deep punishment for that one. <laughs> like before and after, <laughs> felt really good. Great. Yeah, I just uh, it was yeah, it was funny. It was like funny, and it's obviously worth it just to hear Phoebe sing the the loud, you know, the loud section. Like that part is not a joke. That's actually like affecting and fun. Um, but uh, the rest of it's kind of a joke. Connor couldn't not sing it in a fake Bradley Cooper voice. It was so <laughs> funny. I was like, no, us doing it is already the joke. Like we don't yeah. need to tell people that it's a joke, but then he literally couldn't not and sing I, it in fake Bradley Cooper any better. And not to be like, oh, like I don't pay attention to stuff, but I really didn't know. I, I'd heard that song like three times before we played it. I was like, I just didn't know that song. And uh, I will say, it's, like, once we learned it and played it, though, it was stuck in my head for a few days. I'm like, it is a really catchy song. But I was like, we can only do it once because if that's something that's pretty sad. Yeah, I don't think people, like, look forward to it in the set. Yeah, we were never going to do it more than once. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I feel like there's something about this that leads to that uh, the banner, it will all end in tears. It, w- it will end in tears, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will end in tears. <laughs> There's an audience out there for both of you all, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing both of them come to the show as well. Does Do you notice that you're playing to two different generations sometimes of fans? I actually did notice that. I guess what we were in Austin the other night, and I was like looking at the crowd, and I don't know. I guess I've kind of had that for a little while now with my own music, where like I guess just doing it long enough, like there's kind of like you know the like whatever like 60 year old like npr couple out there and then there's still the like whatever like 20 year old indie rocking people you know so like that has existed at my shows for a while but obviously it's like the younger people and like phoebe's fans are like very rabid and they're there in force and yeah you can kind of like tell like when it's like i don't know i don't i, I really feel like i the line is blurrier than i thought it would be like I look out in the front row is full of like girls with turf things and like really precise eyeliner. And I'm like, you could be for either of us right now. <laughs> but, but it was, or Connor handed the microphone to a dude the other day who was singing literally every song. And I was like, oh man, I think we might actually have an intersection of super fans. We're like, oh wow, he's stoked when we play a me song or oh wow, he's like screaming the words to easy, lucky, free. Like it's truly both of us, which is yeah. fun. And I think there is, like, maybe it's not a huge percentage, but I do feel like there's some people that may have, maybe had heard of us or knew a little bit about either of us, but actually just kind of heard this record and, like, heard, you know, like, whatever, heard one of the songs and got into it, you know, which I think is really cool that some so people cool. are still, like, finding out about us through, like, this new project, you know. Yeah, the brand new music. Uh, you look yeah. like you're having so much fun on stage. I, I do want to ask if there's been any really good travel stories that's accompanied this tour off the stage. We've, like, literally, we did, like, 11 shows in a row, so we've had, like, very few days off to, like, really do anything that cool, but I know we did some stuff that was fun. Really. Yeah, I feel like the most exciting thing we did on this tour is, like, see a movie, <laughs> which is great. Like, we've been having a blast, but the thing happens on tour that's kind of frustrating where you, like, it kind of takes you all day to become a person. You're like, okay, my stuff is scattered around this weird shower room. I've got to, like, get it together, take a shower, show up for sound check. So, like, it's good and bad. We've been completely, like, enveloped in the music. But I more so than any other tour for me, I feel like I do look forward to the show as, like, the fun thing I get to do, which is awesome. Because sometimes on tour it can feel like it's your job. But I feel like the rest of the day is your job. The rest of the day of, like, not being at home and, like, you know, eating at Starbucks is what you get paid for. And then playing music is the reward. 
I rode on the back of my friend's motorcycle the other night in Dallas, and I thought I was going to die. That was probably the most exciting moment. Yeah, you texted me before and after both times being, I think, kind of as the thing you do when you're you're afraid for your life and you tell your friend, like, oh, my God, isn't this crazy? (laughs) I, like, know where to find you. You, like, flew off. (laughs) Yeah, that was was. That was exciting in a terrifying way. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't die. I really am. <laughs> I, I, Thanks, I'm in, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm invested in both of your careers so much, but I, I do. I, I wonder from here on out, like how much I, I want to get invested in Bever, Better Oblivion Community Center. Like, are there more songs? Do you think there'll be more albums? Is this going to be a thing, or do you both go your separate ways at this point? Afterward, maybe we should get actual investors to like invest in the band and like, our new just, music. Just start like raising capital. Um, no, I think that, I mean, I will just speak for myself and say that I hope that we make another record. Yeah, me too. I think we there's very little, like, concept other than, like, the drop release and stuff. We, we really did just make a thing and then put it out. So I hope if we make more music, it'll be in that same spirit. Like, we didn't sit around, like, Mr. Burnsing for months being like, and then it'll all come out at once or whatever. Like, we've just, the spirit of it has been put it out immediately like we put it out a single for no reason mm-hmm. so hopefully we keep doing that it, remember it only takes three albums to make a greatest hits so you just got to get to three albums so you can, <laughs> so you can cruise on the greatest right. hit from there on out Connor, we'll pull a tom petty and write our best song for it exactly uh it's been a pleasure talking to you both connor phoebe thank you so much again for taking the time today i, I can't say enough great things about this record and i hope to catch one of these live shows too uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna try to get out to one Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Take care, y'all. Later. 2019 interview, Phoebe Bridgers, Connor Oberst, and the Better Oblivion Community Center. Now we'll go back uh, to 2017. I think that was the first time that Phoebe and I got to talk. It was after she had released her debut album, Stranger in the Alps. We got into her background, her direct lyrics, and yes, The Big Lebowski as well. Part three of Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridgers. Hey, how's it going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. You've got a... um... A beautiful record, a, a heartbreaking record, a gorgeous. I, I think there's a lot of adjectives that can be applied to this. It's it's a record that I don't know if I should compliment for its beauty because it's just, it's it's there's so much, you know, not sadness. I think is the right word, but uh, it's definitely you're not writing a happy-go-lucky record, and it's <laughs> still a beautiful record. It's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, before we get into that, though, I, I got to ask that that title. Um, I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky, and we're the home of the Lebowski Fest, which I know has played a few times out in LA too. But Stranger in the Alps, that's a Lebowski reference, right? It is. It is indeed. Nicely done. Is that uh, just because Thanks. that's yeah the fun of the uh, of the edit? Was there any other story behind that? Not really. I just thought it was kind of poetic on accident. <laughs> I mean, maybe the person who had to edit it was had that in mind, but I just thought it was such an interesting choice. Yeah. Like there are a lot of things that they could have chosen to replace that, but. Yeah, I just thought it was cool. You know, somebody was high-fiving the other person in the editing booth that day. Exactly. Yeah, like exactly. I know what it is. Well, um, getting into this record, it, it is. It's, it's such a, a great record and, and a hell of a, a debut, a way to introduce yourself. Although I know that we were kind of familiar with you, you know, based off of the first single and EP to begin with. It, there's a few years in between, and, and I was, is it that you just took your time to wait to get everything in order? for the actual release or or were you still writing on it this whole time it's just that i think the ryan seven inch the seven inch i did with ryan adams kind of happened on accident it happened as i was planning on making a full-length album and then people liked it 
and then I started getting tours because of it. And uh, so I took a lot of breaks in the recording process because of tours, which was really cool. But it, you know, it did take kind of take forever. And and I've I've heard you say a few things about this though. You know, about these songs that, you know, some of them have been around for a few years now because of that, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I because of the seven inch dragging everything out as far as my full length as well. Um, I got to finish songs that would never have been on the record otherwise, you know, kind of in the final hour of making it. So, yeah, that was a cool part. But then, yeah, some of them I've had since before I recorded with Ryan. So, yeah, yeah it's, and it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing about it being your debut and for having these songs around because, you know, every one of your songs, I think the most special thing about them is they are so... Uh, specific, yeah, you know, you, you hear some of those pop doctor writers talk about, oh, if you want to get to the masses, you got to write broad and everything. And I've never believed that. A lot of my favorite songs are, are very specific to the to the artist. But when this is your debut, and some of these songs, you know, this is the introduction to it for a lot of people. But these are little moments that happened to you. I don't know what five, ten years ago. Like, are, are is that connection still there? Is that you know for you? Yes, I actually feel the op- I feel the opposite of you know of what you just said about about pop songwriters. Like I I've al- I agree with you. I always feel like the most some of the most specific songs are actually kind of the most universal. So yeah, I, I think that applies to my older songs as well. For me, like even if they are really specific and I'm not having those experiences anymore, I still like things repeat themselves and I and I connect in different ways than I thought I would. I just I feel like I think different things about who I was at those times which is the only thing which is the only thing that changes my experience with older songs if that makes any sense like i'm like oh wow like why was i why was i so obsessed with that person (laughs) like they sucked you know (laughs) like that those are the only things that change is is like a perspective basically i've heard a lot of songwriters talk about how when you look back at your catalog it's almost like looking back at the old yearbook photos and you know, in, in that sense, it's almost like you walking up for the first time, but instead of offering a picture of you, you know, a, a current day picture, it's almost that you're holding over. It's like, well, this was me, you know, a few years ago. And <laughs> totally, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to make a second record because <laughs> this kind of feels like catching this kind of feels like catching people up on my life. Yeah. And then a second record will be, you know, probably like all songs that were written in the same six months. Right. So yeah, so interesting. Well. You know, as far as those lyrics go, you have an amazing knack for poetry. I mean, uh, honestly, it's Thanks. it's some of the most engaging lyrics. And and I say this coming from a person who's not usually. I, I I'm one of the people who finds rhythm and melody be- long before I find the lyrics. But yours are so uh-huh. engaging that you can't not pay attention to them. Where does where does your where does that poetry bone come from for you? I I I think I just. It's what I gravitate toward. I'm the opposite. I, it's what I gravitate towards the most are lyrics. I love melodies, and there's nothing better than perfect combination of a great melody and great lyrics. But I think, you know, I actually like a lot of songs that are really just monotonous melodies that are a story, like, you know, you know, like Leonard Cohen songs are mm-hmm. like that, where it, like, it, it kind of drags out over, you know, 10 minutes. And it's just the the same verse over and over, but it's but the the lyrics are so compelling you can't help but pay attention. So I think it's just what I consumed always. My mom listened to a lot of singer songwriter music, and then and then when I started when I grew up, it, I I kind of gravitated towards um, like contemporary singer songwriters, and 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 kind of found that people were still doing that. 
it wasn't just only music that my parents listened to. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just what I consumed. Did you always kind of know that this was what you were going to try to make your profession? I yeah, I guess yeah. It sounds kind of corny, but I don't remember fantasizing about doing another thing. You know, I think I never. I didn't. I don't have like a realistic set of goals for myself. I always was like, <laughs> I'm going to be a musician. I I like totally was kind of a like I didn't really pay attention in school. I was kind of like pretty convinced that I was going to do music always. You know, whether based in reality or not. Uh, so. <laughs> So yeah, wouldn't advise it, but but yeah, I I don't remember wanting to do anything else. Was there a moment when you could actually remember that you took the uh, the serious jump that you you kind of went all in on it? I mean, knowing knowing is one thing, actually performing that trick is is sort of another thing. You know, I I think I always did. Like I I think I can point to a lot of times where I did that. But there but it, there wasn't really any fear attached to it. I think the most the the most fearful I ever was, which is really, it really actually wasn't a very pronounced feeling, but I, I, when I was graduating high school, my mom knew that I wanted to be a musician, but she, but she was like, just apply to one school, <laughs> you know, just do one so that you have the option if you freak out. And I applied and got into Berkeley School of Music and it was like, you know, do I, and I had just gone to four years of, a, of like a music magnet high school. So I was like, I like, do I do this for another four years or do, I, or do I just jump in? And, you know, my mom and I look at each other and we're like, I just, I, you know, I can take a year off. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I just apply to school again, you know? Yeah. So that, I think that was the, that was the, that was the freakiest time. I also kind of sat around it and did nothing for like six years after I graduated high school. I was six years, six months. Yeah. Six years. That'd be amazing. Right. Um, no, that's what I was laughing so at because when... Yeah, when someone says I'm going to take the year off, it usually means that I'm just going to sit there. I'm just not going to do exactly, much. exactly. <laughs> I feel like I kind of lazed around for six months and was like, "What am I doing?" And then it kind of started picking up, and I and I got my confidence back. I was like, "All right, I'm playing shows. I'm recording. This feels good." And then I met Ryan, like you know, a year after I graduated high school. So. Wow. That was pretty cool. Yeah. What what timing? And at some point in there, I read that you ended up in an iPhone commercial too, right? I did. That was kind of the end of my lazing around, I think. <laughs> well, how did that come about? Because what an opportunity, especially as, you know, at the moment, sort of an unknown. Yeah. Someone just known me from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you were known. You were known. That was it. You weren't an unknown. Yeah, you guess, were known. a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I, I'm glad uh, personally that everything has happened the way it's happened because, again, this record is just so interesting to listen to, and I've loved every moment of it. So, uh, thanks so much. Yeah. So ho- uh, hopefully we'll see you around these parts. I'm in Louisville at some point, you know, and, and, and I'm guessing you're probably going to be on tour nonstop for the next 20 years. So uh, one of these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Let's go. All Do right. It. it was nice talking with you, Phoebe. Yeah, great to talk to you. All right. Bye. Phoebe Bridgers. Again, the brand new record is called Punisher. Uh, big thanks to Phoebe for taking the time to talk, and thanks to you for listening to the uh, the episode as well. Before you get out of here, if you're not already, please do hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from, and we'll uh, send three interviews your way every single week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Brand new interviews to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. After that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. 
an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots at Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.